What's going on, everybody? This is Andre Hutchins. I am the host of the Backseat Directors Podcast, and you are listening to episode 104. On today's episode, my co-host Ryan Nevin and I, uh, we are going to discuss a movie that came out actually last year, back in December 2019, called Just Mercy. Uh, Just Mercy tells the true story of Brian Stevenson, who is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and who has been uh, working as a, a defense lawyer down in Alabama for the last 30 years. Um, but this movie has recently been made available to watch for free on many different streaming platforms. So if you have not seen the movie, um, go check it out on either Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Vudu, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, even Fandango streaming, whichever streaming service that you that you guys use you could probably find the movie on there but uh, we just we wanted to talk about this movie because of obviously the current uh, cultural and social climate right now regarding racism in America and and also throughout the world um, and a lot of protests that we're seeing in the media and on the news and we just wanted to give our two cents on this movie uh, what it meant to us and also just kind of talk about some of the recent stuff happening in the United States and again across the world um, so thank you again for tuning in. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode. If you guys are brand new to Backseat Directors, just you can subscribe to the podcast on uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, we're on Spotify now. Really anywhere that a podcast is downloadable, you can probably find Backseat Directors there. Um, but yeah, so th- thank you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you want to reach out to me, if you have a question, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find us online on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I am most active on Twitter. If you want to reach out to me directly, just shoot me an email. That email address is andre at backseatdirectors.com. That's spelled A-N-D-R-E, andre at backseatdirectors.com. All right, let's go ahead and get on with the show. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Hey, dude. How's it going? I'm doing well. Doing well. Um, sorry for the uh, confusion a little earlier. <laughs> for some context, uh, just for our listeners, uh, you know, r- obviously Ryan's in the UK. Uh, I'm recording here in Utah. We are seven hours apart, and so usually when we're at least historically this year when we've recorded, I'll re- like we'll schedule it around noon. So that's 7 p.m. Ryan's time. But uh, the last few, we've been doing it a little later, so I just assumed we'd be recording earlier. But. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, man, it's good. That's it's good. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we could still get this, uh, uh, podcast recorded today. I, I'm planning on releasing it tomorrow. So today's Monday, uh, June 8th. Um, but anyway, uh, listeners, we've got a lot to talk about. And so we're going to get right into it as usual. Ryan and I, we're going to go through some of the stuff we've been watching recently. Um, Ryan, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I've got kind of long list, but I'm just going to skim over these and I'm just going to list them out. <laughs> Maybe you could tell me if you've seen them or haven't seen them, if you like them. Um, but this is, I mean, at least two weeks worth. You know, my wife and I, we've been doing Breaking Bad, but we kind of actually, we're in the middle of season three and we've kind of put the brakes on. We haven't watched uh, an episode for a couple weeks. And in the meantime, though, we've watched quite a bit of movies. Uh, first one I'll tell you about is the, in my opinion, the... Um, oh my gosh, of course, dude, this happens to me every time, man. I try to think of an actor's name and it just, uh, Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage classic gone in 60 seconds. What do you think? That's a great film. I love, oh man, I love that film. That's a, um, (laughs) 
that's a bit of a classic film between me and Sai. We we always we always refer back to that film. Timothy Oliphant is um, an unsung hero in that film. <laughs> Dude, see that's the thing. It had been years since I'd seen it, and I didn't even I didn't even realize that he had played in that movie. But his you know his career is interesting, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about him a little bit more. You know, in the next few years or so, uh, you know, rumor has it he's going to be on the Mandalorian now. Um, but he's yeah, he's had yeah, an yeah. In- interesting career, just kind of bouncing between movies and TVs, uh, TV series and stuff like that. But yeah, so gone in sixty seconds. Um, we also watched the eighties classic uh, with um, um, oh dude, of course, man, of course. Why do I always forget people's names? Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. You watch oh with um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yes. <laughs> That's another movie, dude, that I, I watched. I had seen a few times when I was a, a younger, but have not watched in maybe a decade or so. And that, dude, that really, that's like the epitome of 80s movies. It's such a, just a fun yeah, 80s movie. So it really is. It is mad. Um, I watched Bridesmaids for the first time, had never seen it. I've never seen it. Really? So I've never seen it. Good. Well, I've heard people compare it to, they're like, it's the female version of. Um, hangover of the hangover and it's not though so don't if you it i think it's worth watching and i do think it's funny uh it's it's much more serious in its tone than the hangover and i always thought and this might be a spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched it but i'm just going to tell you this right um they don't go to vegas and part part of the movie and i remember even part of the trailer makes you think they're going to go to Vegas and that's where things get wild and crazy, but it's, they don't, they don't, they're on a plane about to go to Vegas and then they don't even end up going to Vegas. And so it's just, it's very different. It's very different. It's still very funny. Um, okay. And then dude, I have been on a DC animated movie kick. So you and I asked you, <laughs> um, if you watch these movies, you said you don't watch them, and I maybe maybe I need to have formal to have a conversation uh, about these movies. But I've been I've been watching them. One, they've been on sale on iTunes, so I've been purchasing a bunch of them. But uh, uh, I watched Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox. Right, if you have not seen that movie, you have to see that movie. It 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 has the feel of like a live action DC movie. And it is a good movie. It's my it, out of all the DC animated movies that I've seen so far, it is by far my favorite. And I really hope, I really hope that in the near future we get to see a live action Flashpoint Paradox movie. I think Warner Brothers would be uh, really just um, leaving money on the table if they did not do a live action flashpoint movie it's it's a great animated movie um i watched justice league versus teen titans i watched justice league the judas contract which is also um or or sorry teen titans the judas contract i watched justice league dark um and i'm in the middle of watching um constantine city of demons so that's kind of my lead up to i have not watched justice league dark apocalypse war which is from what I hear, it's like the end of the DC animated line continuity line. So I, I don't know if they're going to restart or do something new after that, but that's what I've heard. So watch a bunch of those. They're, they're good, but yeah, man, Ryan, you got to watch the flashpoint paradox. It's, it's, it's really that good, man. So I'd love to talk to you about that one. Okay. And the, cool. uh, to kind of, uh, finish things out, um, 
my my wife has kind of had a rough week. She she lost an aunt this week, um, and um, uh, an aunt that she's very very close to. So um, one of the things my wife though just kind of a, a just a, a comfort for her is that you know she kind of likes to watch uh, movies from her childhood and things that you know she kind of grew up on and Disney Plus is a plethora of those movies that she grew up on and just are a comfort to her and so we watched a few of them um, some of those old like 60s and 70s Disney movies. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of these, but I, I've seen them as a kid, but it's been a long time since I've seen them. But we watched Blackbeard's Ghost. Very good, very funny. Okay. Uh, it, it kind of just a Disney classic movie. We watched Parent Trap, the original. Um, and Not we the, all well, then, one. <laughs> then we That's also Jodie Jodie Foster, right? No, no, no. Jodie Foster plays in the uh, Freaky Friday, where she oh, yeah. she like she's she like enters her mom's body and her mom enters her body. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, kind of yeah. switch, but no Parent Trap. Uh, they they did a remake with Lindsay Lohan in the early two thousands. So we actually watched both, both versions. Um, and then Pollyanna, uh, Haley Mills. Haley Mills stars in these, uh, she stars in the original Parent Trap and Pollyanna. She was kind of one of those, you know, Disney kid act, uh, actors that kind of made a living, you know, as, as a kid actor in those Disney movies. They kind of recycled a lot of those actors, actually. Um, and then for the first time, I'd never seen this movie in my life, but I watched Swiss Family Robinson for the first time. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I had never seen it. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Did you like it? I, I liked it. I liked it. I mean, it, you know, it's. I mean, it, these are old movies. You know, and the, yeah. the acting is very different. The style of the movies is very different. But, but it was still a fun movie. Um, one of the things <laughs> I was surprised on, I had to look this up a little bit, was that uh, um, the use of animals in the movie. I don't think the way that they use animals in Swiss Family Robinson would fly at all today they'd have PETA on their backs for what they did with animals in that movie so it's just interesting watching a movie from that generation you know just a different era different time um you know and the way they made movie uh, the movie then is you know they would not be able to make the movie now so it's just very interesting but okay to finish off my list um, we watched two classics this weekend. Movies that I love. Like these are some of my favorite movies ever. But we watched Count of Monte Cristo. Just a phenomenal movie, man. I love that movie so much. I've not seen that film. Is that with the is Henry Cavill? Was that the one with Henry Cavill? You have not seen that movie. No. Right, dude. You get. Go and buy that movie and watch it this week. And yes, it does have Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, I think, was 18 years old when he uh, filmed this movie. So very young. Um, fantastic movie, dude. It's so good. You got to watch this movie. It's so good. I think it no, came no. out like in 2002, maybe. I might be off. But then we also watched Willow, one of my all-time favorite movies. I I love this movie. Everything about this movie, I think, works. Um and one of the things I tweeted about yesterday when I kind of did my reactions is that um, it's, um, oh, of course, I'm blanking on it, but I'm going to look it up on my Twitter account right now. But the composer uh, for the movie in the score of Willow, I think, is highly underrated. It, it is really incredible stuff. Oh, yeah, James Horner. James Horner did the score. And oh, yeah. J- James Horner has done some fairly well-known movies. Uh, yeah, he rest- did the the Amazing Spider Man. 
He did. He did. Um, rest in peace, James Horner. He actually passed away at the age of 61 back in 2015. Um, but he did. And I, these are the ones I listed on my tweet. The Land Before Time, the cartoon. Aliens, you know, the uh, James Cameron one. James Cameron. Uh-huh. Braveheart, Titanic, and Avatar. He did the scores for all those. Uh, among uh, uh, dozens and dozens of other movies. Um, but the one for Willa, dude, is so good. So I... I I assume you've seen that movie. I mean, it's you know. It's no, a... I've not. I've not seen it, man. What? Oh, right. dude, this was. Uh, I mean, this is like George Lucas's story. He apparently, I kind of did some research. He came up with the story for Willow back in the seventies before they even ever filmed um, Star Wars, but. He said that at the time, the technology was not where he needed it to be to film some of the scenes that he wanted in the movie. So he waited. And uh, the movie started filming, I think, in 87 and then was released in 89. Ron Howard directed it. I mean, it's a Lucasfilm produced movie. I mean, it's Lucasfilm. George Lucas wrote the story. You know, Ron Howard directed. Uh, Warwick Davis, who is Wicket, you know, the main Ewok from Return of the Jedi. He's the main character. He's Willow, you know. And by far and away... There's a game show over here in the UK called Tenable. And it's on at about half five in the evening every day. Okay. It's just weird, right? Wait, wait, <laughs> wait. Weird. Warwick Davis. Oh, a, it, does a, he host that show? show? Oh, does he host that show? He hosts oh, it. No. Yeah, yeah, he hosts it in the UK. <laughs> weird, right? Like he's like... No, man. I mean, Warwick Davis, dude, he's... I mean, he's made a nice career for himself, you know? I mean... Yeah, um, he's, between he's the most famous midget out there <laughs> other than probably other than uh other than what's his face but then i think there's a difference um i think um there's a difference between uh midget and dwarfism isn't there and i think um what's um what's his face from game of thrones oh yeah um, yeah yeah um he's probably the one what's his name i'm blanking now and i'm good with names you uh, give me the curse of a blanked mind i know listeners just yell at us i think the louder you yell you might be able to tell us who it is but I, i'm looking it up on imdb right now um so oh gosh peter uh peter uh dinklage peter dinklage yeah yeah um and he's yeah he's amazing as well he's yeah yeah and he he has he's made a very nice film career for himself as well i mean obviously starring in game of thrones um i think you know really kind of cemented his legacy within within film i mean even though it's a, it's a tv series but still um no but dude warwick davis you know he he plays um he's in the harry potter movies he even yeah. he even had a role in a small role but still a role in uh solo he was one of the um ah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh, towards the, the end uh, yeah towards the end yeah yeah, yeah. So, but, but, oh, right, you gotta watch Willow, man. It's my favorite Val Kilmer movie. Val Kilmer is incredible in this movie. It's so good. It's just, it's a high fantasy film that's, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure he took a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but, um, I, I, I dude, I love this movie. I remember watching it. <laughs> my aunt and uncle showed it to me as a kid. I probably was eight or nine years old the first time I saw the movie, but, I mean, dude. Ever since, man, I I love this movie, Brian. You gotta see Willow. You gotta watch Willow. <laughs> but okay, man. That's my list. That's my list. That's what I've seen in the last few weeks. But um, but yeah. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Hit me up with yours. What you, what you, what you, what have you guys been up to? Watching? Cool. So my list is uh, my list is never usually as long as yours. Uh, I don't seem to smash out as many films as as yourself. But um, <laughs> so some of the films that I've managed to get around to watching this week. 
is uh, first off Man of Steel. I've watched again. That was on TV. Um, nice. Well, you know like uh, the seven-year anniversary is coming up uh, on the fifteenth. I think. I think that's when it came out. All right. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're well, coming always, up on the seven-year anniversary. Yeah. But you guys are probably sick to death about hearing uh, me and Andre talk about uh, DC and specifically Man of Steel and Henry Cavill. Hey, who knows? We might have another podcast about Man of Steel coming up, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll move on for that one. But uh, I watched another film that was, I felt, quite fitting to the year. Um, 2012 with John Cusack. Oh, wow, Remember dude. that film? I, I, saw film. It, I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I have not seen it since. But I, I don't really no, remember same. much about the movie. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's, it's bad. I think it, it was the final nail in the coffin of, for John Cusack's career. You don't really <laughs> see much, much of him anymore, do you? And I think that was... That was it for him. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. I mean, I know it's it, it is like an end of the world movie, and I think I think it was based around you know. There's a lot of people out there with theories on when the the world will end. You know, I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, you know, but I I I know that there the movie 2012 was based around like a fairly predominant theory. I it may have been like the Mayan calendar that predicted the world would end yep. in like 2012 or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I have not seen it since it came out, so I can't say much about it. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, to be fair, it was, wasn't too bad for a rewatch. Cause I remember it being quite horrific. And then, you know, when you just kind of, it's on TV, you haven't seen it in a while, pop it on and then you watch it and you're like, ah, okay, it's not, do you know what I mean? Like you kind of enjoy it for what it, for what it would, for what it is. And it's just, just a, a mad, mad film. Um, but then uh, we had a brief discussion, I think, with um, with Formula Mikey as well. Was um, I was watching Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which I finally got around <laughs> to watching. I've mentioned that on a the, on an episode probably about seven episodes ago now that I was supposed to watch it, and I just hadn't got around to it. But I finally got around to to watching that, and and uh, I think we we see quite differently on this film, don't we? I, I think it was absolutely <laughs> trash. <laughs> Well, here I, I want to know though. What do you think of Gareth Edwards' Godzilla movie? Though I mean, the it was the one that started off this new Godzilla universe because Godzilla King of the Monsters well, was I a didn't sequel. Like it. You didn't like Gareth I Edwards like either, it. really? No, I mean, it's, I it's vastly different though. It's very different in the style yeah. of the movie, and but you didn't like either of them, I guess. Uh, I prefer the original Godzilla to the to the the mess that I watched last week. You mean the two thousand fourteen one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The, the yeah. original, the first, yeah, yeah, the the, the Gareth Edwards one. Right. Um, I think what I didn't, I think that film disappointed me a lot because they used Brian Cranston to sell the film, and he was barely in it. Right. Um, and I and I, yeah. I like Brian Cranston. I think a lot of people like him. He's a brilliant actor, and um, I felt a little bit in the sh- in the watching the film a bit betrayed. By it, I felt the way they really, really advertised it was like it was a Brian Cranston film, and it couldn't have been anything less. I don't even know if he'd be classed as a as a side actor because he's in it for a whole of maybe 20, ten minutes. Yeah, it's, I think it's like yeah. twenty minutes total of the movie. So for that, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And then there was I had kind of massive issues with the amount of times they would uh, they would build up that there was going to be a fight happening between Godzilla and uh, one of the monsters, and then it would build up to it, then not happen, and then it would do it again. And do it again, and I, I kind of understand that it was like because the the whole fight was supposed to be the ending, and that was kind of the thing. If you kept on getting loads of them throughout the end, the ending wouldn't have had much of an impact. 
but I, I felt like it, that disappointment of it, just that build-up and then never ever getting that build-up of those fights was disappointing. But I do I do really like the Godzilla that they've created in the sense of, like, he looks really cool, the roar is really good. As, as like, if you even class him as a character, he, his look and everything about him, his perfect. It's just the way the film is, is built round. Both of them, for me, have always... Have, been a bit of a letdown but the latest one for me i just i could barely even understand what was going on i was watching the screen and it was just uh it just wasn't very well directed in my opinion so um i don't think it's a good movie speaking of godzilla uh, king and the monsters it's not a good movie i think there there's a lot of of problems uh regarding the story and how they use characters within the story um but I saw this movie. I saw this movie on an IMAX screen when it came out, and the the theater experience was very fun and very entertaining. And I can't I can't deny that I wasn't, or that I was entertained. I mean, because I was entertained. It, it for me, it was. It, it is one of those kind of turn your brain off type movies and just enjoy the spectacle of the movie, um, because when you start to when you start to think about the movie critically at all, um, it, it falls apart. <laughs> so, uh, and the thing is, is Godzilla, the first one in 2014, the Gareth Edwards directed one. I, I really like that movie. I think it's a good, I think it's a good Godzilla movie. And I, and yes, I do agree that, it, that the criti- the criticism of Brian Cranston not being a prominent, more prominent character in the movie, I think is very valid because yeah, I think, I think having him there really provided for um, a lot of drama uh, that was that that could have been added, but I think they what I think that they did well is what a lot of people criticized that first Godzilla movie for, and that wasn't that was not showing Godzilla enough. But I liked how they hid Godzilla; that they only showed him in certain moments, and 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 for the most part throughout the movie, it was. Uh, it was just he was kind of a shadowy figure that was looming, but I, I enjoyed the final battle between the uh, those big bug creatures. I forget the mulattoes. I think that's what they call them. I I could be wrong, but anyway, uh, well, what I, I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson. You know, you're you're a fan of some of his movies with like Kick Ass and stuff like that. But you know, I mean, he's like the main character in this movie in the Godzilla movie. They don't bring him back for the second Godzilla movie. You essentially are you recast almost everyone. There's only a few, there's only a few um, actors that they do bring back, but they're more in the supporting role. Um, but the critic or the, the at least fans, they fans said that they wanted more Godzilla and less actors, and that's essentially what Godzilla Godzilla gave. They 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 gave really no depth or coherency to any of the characters. I mean, they were just you know, I mean they. <laughs> They were there for the sake of just having human characters there. I mean, they really didn't mean anything to the story, and and the and any story that they tried to tell revolving around the characters did not make sense whatsoever. I mean, the, I mean the the main the main dude that wanted to release them because uh, because why? Because he thought that humans were he was like an eco terrorist. He thought humans were destroying the 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 world, and so he's going to release these monsters to destroy humans. But it's like. How are you gonna live? How are you gonna survive? Like it's so stupid, but yeah. 
they did give a lot of Godzilla. I mean, Godzilla, and there was a lot of monster fighting and destruction and mayhem and, you know, but I, let me ask you this. Are you excited for uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong? <laughs> well, I liked Kong. I don't, you weren't massive on that film, right? But I really, I, I, no, I no, I remember that you weren't. I enjoyed it. I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I think, I think it's a, it's a better movie than Godzilla King of the Monsters for sure. Yeah, I think it is. I think Tom Hiddleston was really good. Um, I didn't mind Brie Larson in it too much. Um, Samuel Jackson was good in it. I, I thought it was a uh, it was a better a better film in my opinion overall. I, I felt it had a, a really a solid story. The visuals were very good. Had a really good soundtrack from memory. Um, so I think for me that was a good film, a really good film. So yeah, the next one, to be honest, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to to it. To be honest, I, I know I've I've dissed both of those films, but I do like Godzilla, and I say I really like the Kong films, so there's no reason for me not to look yeah. forward to this film. Well, I mean, the, the, and this is the last thing I'll say. So the Godzilla movie, um, the first one, um, it was it, it was definitely a success at the box office. Um, just looking at the numbers, it grossed over $524 million worldwide. But the Godzilla King of the Monsters, dude, it, it, I mean, widely was considered a flop at the box office. It only grossed $386 million worldwide, which is very disappointing for a sequel um, of the type of magnitude and world appeal that Godzilla has. Because I think Godzilla on, on the world stage and international audiences has a lot of appeal. I mean, it's Godzilla, you know? Everyone knows who Godzilla yeah. is. But um, All right, any, any other movies you want to bring up? Uh, yeah, so um, I watched two other movies, uh, which okay. the last one is we're going to talk about in a bit, so I'll introduce us, roll us into that one, but the second one I watched, which I've literally just finished before coming on with you, pretty much, is um, Fantastic Four 2, oh. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> what a bad film. <laughs> Even to the point where I just look at it and think... Why did they think that Jessica Alba would be a good sister to Chris Evans? Just, like, they couldn't look any more different. It's just like, uh, it's just, just everything about it is just so, so poor. Like, I used to really enjoy those films as a kid, but now rewatching them and to the standard that superhero films are now, <laughs> they're just so bad. You think about, you think about where Chris, Chris Evans was and where he is now. I mean, he's, he's, his career has been completely transformed by being Captain America, you know, him as the human torch. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen those movies dude since, yeah, since, I mean, I was younger. I, the first one came out in 2005 and then the sequel in 2007. And I probably haven't seen them since they've come out. So I, <laughs> I knew I didn't really, I wasn't really a fan of them then. And I, I probably have no interest in rewatching. Those movies. <laughs> the sad, the sad thing is, is that, um, like Fantastic Four is three good characters, and obviously they they introduced uh, Victor Von Doom in it, which is uh, he's a very very big character in the, yeah, the Marvel Doom, universe. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that I hope that it doesn't put Disney slash Marvel Studios off from using him as potentially the next big bad. I think with with regards to that, do you do you think? Because there isn't really any proper like films coming out. They're introducing some like like the Eternals and stuff like that, but they're mainly focusing on a lot of TV. Do you think it's because they are trying to 
work out what the next real big phase is, is going to be because yeah, obviously they've acquired I, Fox and that really changes things. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. And I think, I don't know, I think, I would assume Marvel understands that what they achieved with, you know, these, the what, first four phases of, you know, their cinematic universe and over the course of 11 years and 22 movies, I think they they do realize that it was... It, it, it was an incredible achievement that's unlikely to be replicated. And so so I think their focus can be on, you know, hopefully starting something new that they can turn into, you know, another cinematic universe. But, but maybe the focus doesn't necessarily need to be continued as continuity because I think it's going to be too hard to juggle, you know, introducing the X-Men and Fantastic Four into the current universe that they have. But I, I could be totally wrong and maybe they've already come up with it. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not very familiar with the fantastic four comics or anything like that. I know they have a big fandom and a lot of people really enjoy these characters. I just want them to do it right. And so for me, the way they introduce them and the care and the actors that they choose are really important. I don't know if you saw this, but someone said that they should cast, uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as, uh, as Mr. and Mate, Mrs. Could, oh, Fantastic. I'll have a bet with you now, live on the show, that that will happen. And I, I kind of hope it does, because I think having the dynamic of actually two married people and two talented actors um, taking on these roles, I think it really could like work out well. Like I really do. And especially, I mean, we got to see them act together in the... Uh, you know, um, a quiet place movie. And I thought that was fantastic. I really do. And, and in terms of looking the part, they really do look the part. Like I, I I would love to see, I I would love to see Emily Blunt and John Krasinski casted, but I mean, whether or not they will, if you want to, let's do a bet. (laughs) I mean, I'm betting. I think they will. will. There's been rumors. (laughs) Emily Blunt is a massive, has already is a massive part of Disney anyway, isn't she? She, she is. is Ma- yes. Mary Poppins. Yeah. She's in the new film with The Rock coming out that's yeah, based the, on that. Yeah, Disney the jungle ride. jungle boat cruise, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's firmly in there with Disney. So John Krasinski, not so much, but there's been a lot of rumours that he has been in talks with Disney, whether that's just made up or not. But um, there's quite a lot of smoke, so I would suggest there's a bit of fire going on um, there. So I wouldn't be surprised. It's just... For me, I'm just more very focused on the villain, and I find it quite interesting actually think about it that they have Vic Von Doctor Doom, Victor Von Doom in that in the first one and the second one, and then they have also Galactus in the second one, which is like another massive um, villain that is rumored. So it's interesting that they butchered two major villains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, you know. I mean. You know how the, I mean, the MCU, they started off as always kind of hinting toward Thanos. He was always just kind of, you know, hinted at. His name was mentioned, you know, but you never really saw him, I, I don't think, until the first Avengers movie end credit scene, you know, where they teased him and he was there. You know, with the new upcoming MCU movies, I think the first one that we were supposed to see this year was going to be, well, I mean, outside of, outside of uh, uh, Black Widow. But I think in Eternals, which was supposed to come out this year, um, you know, we were supposed to maybe get a hint of what's to come for this next phase. But I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Whatever whatever Disney does, they there's no way it could be worse than the three Fantastic Four movies that we've gotten so far. So 
No, no, I agree. Um, so yeah, so that was that is kind of the the last film that I've watched really. But um, so but that's just left me with the film obviously that we're going to discuss now, which uh, which is Just Mercy. Perfect. Take over. Yeah, no, that's a good segue. So. Um, listeners, and this is, you know, this is the main portion of our podcast. And so buckle up, (laughs) Ryan and I've got a lot to talk about. (laughs) Um, so just mercy, just mercy came out late last year. I think it came out, uh, December of 2019. I did not get around to watching it when it came out, even though I was very familiar with the movie because of, uh, the book, um, the book, uh, by the same name, also called just mercy, I, I picked up the book last year, but I didn't start reading it until January. And I knew that I wanted to read it first before I watched the movie. Well, uh, I was reading it together with my wife. We just read together in bed, you know, but so because we were reading it together, it took us a while to get through it, but we finally got through it. So I said, okay, well, let's watch it now. And, uh, and I told you, Ryan, that I wanted to, uh, uh, have both of us watch it so we could discuss it on the podcast. And so um, I want to run through the movie for our listeners. And and I will make a few comparisons here and there from how different the movie is from the book. But my expectations for the movie were not as high because I know how good the book is and how detailed the book is. And that there is no way that they were ever going to fit even half the contents of the book in a two-hour movie. And so, and so because of that, I knew that the script was going to have to be changed fairly drastically in order to tell this story and for the most part i think they did a good job so for anyone who's not familiar with just mercy fyi ryan and i are going to go into full spoilers on this on this movie on the story um i hope it doesn't deter you from watching the movie i think the movie is definitely still worth watching um and i'm going to say this now i think the book is a hundred times more worth your time than the movie so go watch the movie but Go go buy the book and read the book. I, I think for anyone who is interested within uh, the historical context, uh, context of American history and uh, black history within America, this book is incredibly important. Um, so first things first, let's get on with the movie. The movie was uh, directed and, and written by, it was co-written by, uh, Destin Daniel Cre- uh, Cretan or Cretan. I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but he also... He, he also filmed another Brie Larson movie because Brie Larson is a, a side character in Just Mercy. Um, but he did uh, Glass Castle that came out in 2017. And he also did Short Term 12, which was kind of Brie Larson's coming out party. Uh, the first movie I think most people noticed her in. Um, uh, Just Mercy is about Brian Stevenson, who is the founder of of the Equal Justice Initiative. It is an organization that has, well, its main office is in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and then they also have one in New York City. Um, But they uh, are a group of lawyers that fight for justice to um, uh, to inmates and prisoners who can't afford um, legal counsel. You know, so they give their services to uh, for free to to inmates. Um, their main focus, and the movie doesn't really touch on all the stuff that the Equal Justice Initiative or EJI they re- usually refer to as EJI. Um, the type of inmates that they reach out to, obviously, they focus a lot on death row inmates, but they also uh, provide a lot of assistance to um, children inmates. And what I mean by that is that that people who have been in prison since they were children so under the age of 18 
and the book goes into great detail on that. The movie doesn't really touch on that at all. Um, and so, um, Brian Stevenson, he is a brand new lawyer straight out of Harvard law school. He takes an internship in Georgia at an organization that's already trying to help, uh, death row inmates. And he finds his calling, you know, so he, 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 through this internship, he says, this is what I want to do. I know how I'm supposed to, you know, use my, uh, my law degree. And he moves to Alabama and he starts practicing law. And again, it's, you know, for free to inmates who can't afford counsel and it's through federal funding. He's able to get grants to support him and, you know, a few employees. What's interesting is that Brie Larson, uh, her character, um, even though the character is real, uh, it's a real person, she wasn't really featured at all in the book. It does mention her, but there are other people. Um, and so, I mean, it's not that it kind of bugs me. I mean, that's fine. You could put in Brie Larson or another female character in there. Um, but he he really didn't have that much help in his early years in moving to Alabama. He was doing a lot of this by himself, and he was alone by himself a lot. And so I, I, I wish... I wish maybe the movie had kind of, I mean, you do get the sense of kind of the weight that he carries and that, you know, there's not much assistance on him, but, but the book really shows you how alone he was in trying to help the people uh, down, down in Alabama, down in the South, the people that really didn't have any help. And so uh, the movie goes through him starting up this organization and providing counsel to death row inmates. And then you meet uh, one of the main inmates that the book is about and that the movie's about as well. Um, Walter McMillan or AKA Johnny D Johnny D has been accused of murder of a white woman in a different County that he lived in, uh, accused falsely and in prison for over seven years and was on death row all seven years for a crime that he didn't commit. And so the movie goes into, um, Brian Stevenson essentially fighting for him and getting his, uh, conviction overturned. And then all charges dropped and Walter McMillan is set free. Um, so that's that's pretty much the gist of the story. Um, you know, obviously the movie deals with a lot of elements of racism. Um, some of the scenes in the movie, uh, they I think they did well from adapting it from the book because so like like the scene. Do you remember Ryan? Where the scene where he is pulled over by cops for no reason? He's forced out of his car. Yep. So that that technically didn't happen, but it happened differently before he was ever in Alabama. Um, but um, but still, I think I think it portrayed the spirit of of experiences that Brian went through in dealing with a lot of the obstacles that that he faced in doing the work that he was doing. Um, but uh, let's just talk about the movie for a little bit, Ryan, and then and then we can get into you know some of the other topics that are more relevant to what is going on. Uh, here in the U.S. and also across the world right now. So tell me, what do you think of the movie? What were, I guess, some of your stronger impressions? Do you think that the message was relayed uh, enough for someone who, like you, is not in the U.S., you know, ne- maybe hasn't necessarily experienced this type of um, culture within the United States since, you you know, you're from the U.K.? But t- tell me your thoughts about the movie. Cool. Um, so kind of initial impressions was... Um before going into the film was that not massively keen because because of really the casting of the film I've never really been a massive Jamie Foxx fan um, I feel like he struggles to to take his personality out of the character um, 
And even though I feel like this is probably one of his better performances, I like to still felt the Jamie Foxx vibe in the character. Um, he just can't seem to get his personality out of him. I don't mean doesn't think he's a bad character. I, I'm just not really a massive fan of him, um, and so because of that, I struggle. Um, and I've never really been a massive fan of Brie Larson either. I feel uh, <laughs> she's okay as side roles and stuff. But I feel her her acting ability is is, is quite stale. Of something about a face that doesn't move. Um, so I, I struggle to to connect with her. And um, I don't have anything against Michael B. Jordan, but he's not really up there for me in regards to top actors. I think he did a good job in Black Panther, but he he's not a film that would. I'd like to go see that film because Michael B. Jordan is in it. I think a lot of the Creed stuff um, is still because it was it was a Rocky universe and obviously Sylvester Sloan was still in there, which really drove the the success of those films for me. Um, so going into it was um, was kind of hard from that perspective because there was a lot of stuff going against it for me. Sure, but, sure, but. Um, but it was but it was an eye opener. It was a really, for me. I thought it was a very good film. Like, I haven't read the book like like yourself, Andre. So I was, um, and I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was based on a true story. Um, so so I went into it quite bl- quite blind. And I think that's for me is probably the best approach because it, that possibly watching that film, um, because it really captured quite a lot. It was a massive eye opener for me with everything that's going on in the world at the moment. I was in the right frame of mind to watch it. And it really educated me a lot about stuff, how how things pan out in in America, um, how certain states kind of seem like little mini countries and they act by their own kind of laws, yes. um, which, which I got from that. Um, and it was very much of an eye-opener about how, um, how it affected each individual person and how some people seemed really good, some people seemed really bad. Some people tailed off, were on bad, but came to kind of good, and were just kind of very much confused by it and and stuff like that. And it just it really captured a a lot a lot of I think how people experience racism in all different um, different corners for, for each character. So so overall, it was very open, um, very eye opening, and very educational for me. And and to be honest, towards the end of the film, when a spoiler, when he does end up getting released it was was very emotional for me um i don't think i've ever really been so caught up emotionally in a film um like i have with that it, it hit me quite hard i'm not sure if it's because of everything that's going on at the moment so overall um i i really did did enjoy the film considering i was i was going in with quite a negative view well that's good to know man i i appreciate that and and i knew i knew um you know obviously you know me reading the book and you uh you know, just, uh, uh, seeing the movie, we were going to have different perspectives on this. Um, um, I, <laughs> I am curious though. I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he is a fantastic actor. I really do. And I mean, I thought he's stellar in the Creed movies really good, but, and I think Hollywood really likes Michael B. Jordan. I, I, I would expect him to continue to just rise in kind of the ranks. Yeah. Of, I think he's a Hollywood good actor. Actors, I think but... he's a good actor. It was just more the fact that I just don't think he has that, that sell me a film factor and because yeah. of like yeah. I wasn't a massive fan of Fox and Brie Larson does that make sense it wasn't like it was <laughs> do you know what I mean it wasn't like oh yeah. my god now Michael B. Jordan's gonna you know what I mean make, yeah. sway the yeah. sway the uh, the scales yeah. oh, that's what I get I think I do think he's a really good actor and yeah he is going from stride to stride and he he will get there eventually he, he definitely has the 
ability to be a actor, an award-winning actor, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I do, I really do think he is that talented. I mean, Brie Larson, uh, she's hit and miss for me. I, there are, there are a few movies that I really like her in. Like, I mean, we we mentioned uh, Kong Skull Island. I think she's, I think she's really good in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, gosh, dude, like the Marvel movies and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but this, this podcast is not about Brie Larson, so we don't need to talk about her. Um, <laughs> your perspective on this though, is really in- in- intriguing though, too, Ryan, because, you know, us being in different countries and having different experiences and different upbringings and stuff like that. Um, obviously you, you and I are not black, um, but our, you know, our, our heritage uh, might have some similarities as well. So for me, you know, for listeners, if, if you've never, you know, met me or if you've never seen me in person or whatever, um, I, I am like most multi-generational Americans in that I am a mix of a lot of stuff, you know? So my, my, my ethnicity, my, my heritage, my genetic background, whatever you want to call it or refer to, I really like my ancestors come from a lot of different places. And so if you were to see me though, you'd probably guess that, Oh, you're mostly one thing. That's because I, I have fairly dark hair, fairly dark skin. Um, and that's more of my Mexican side that stands out. And then my Mexican side, it comes from my grandma or my, my, my dad's mom. So my great grandparents, um, my grandma's parents, they immigrated from Mexico to Texas uh, back in the early uh, 1900s, um, before my grandma was born. So even though my grandma comes from two full-blood Mexican parents, my grandma was born in the U.S., um, you know, but she grew up in a very Hispanic household. She grew up speaking Spanish, but my grandma married uh, a fairly white guy, <laughs> you know, my grandpa, <laughs> whose last name is Hutchins, and that's my last name. So my my grandma's maiden name, though, is Ruiz, or Ruiz, if you want to pronounce it that way, too. Uh, Eva Ruiz. So that's... Uh, is that, that like the boxer? I'm not, the boxer? The one you watch, you know the boxer? I think it I'm, is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't watch a lot the of English boxing. The English struggle. There was a big, there was a big <laughs> fight uh, with an English. You're not, you're not big on boxing. Uh, I mean, some. I mean, I I like Rocky and Creed. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But yeah, there was a, there was a big fight with our kind of leading man not about a few months ago, and there was someone okay. that fought, and the English really struggled. Like what you just said, there it's funny because the English really struggled to pronounce the name on how it's how it's pronounced. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, if you were to pronounce it, you know, with a Spanish accent, it'd be Ruiz, because uh, the Z in Spanish is more of an S. Um, but anyway, anyway, so, um, you know, by my grandma, you know, very Hispanic household, very Hispanic upbringing, speaking Spanish, uh, but she marries a guy who's not Hispanic or Mexican at all. And she was actually one of, she was, she is the youngest of eight children. And she was one of only, she was, there are only two of the eight actually married people that were not Hispanic. And so that was a fairly challenging thing for her family, I think for a little bit, but more so actually on my grandpa's parents side who were not fairly accepting of my grandpa marrying a Hispanic woman, you know? So uh, even within my family, there is some racial tension, you know, throughout my family history. And so my dad, you know, my dad was raised in a, um, a fairly American household. Um, he did not learn Spanish from my grandma. My grandma chose not to teach her kids Spanish and so in my household being raised, I was raised in a fairly American household. I wouldn't say that our, our, our upbringing was, you know, Hispanic or Mexican. When we got together with our family, 
our extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, and stuff like that. Yes, like there there are a lot of Mexican aspects to uh, to my family, but for me personally, I didn't. But me, how I look, I stand out fairly Mexican, and and so um, you know that's kind of that's kind of my background, my history. Um, you know, so my experiences will be related to my own upbringing. But what about you, Ryan? What about you? What living in the UK, born in the UK? Um, I wouldn't say you're the whitest of UK guys. <laughs> but no, what about you? What's no. what's your background? Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I say me and you are um, quite similar in this, what you've just said, and um, I think possibly if I lived out in a sunny America a bit more, I think we would probably have a similar um complexion where mine's probably a bit lighter just because <laughs> the clouds cover the sky more often than not <laughs> um but uh, yeah I'm, i have a very similar kind of mixed mixed background um so my from my dad's side um my dad is welsh and his dad is welsh so from wales um but my my um my nan my grandma as you would prefer it over there um his on my dad's side is um, south african oh really so that's yeah yeah so that's that's pretty interesting so a bit of south african coming in there mixed with with welsh um but um but the kind of where i get the kind of the color from um because obviously a lot of south she was a white south african um so that was with wales everyone's white in wales so it's very um white-sided part of that family where um on my mum's side and my mum was uh, born in Burma, um, which is now called Myanmar. Um, so, and she was born there, but but came over to England at a very very young age. So she can't she can't remember ever being born there or ever living there. Um, but she was she was brought over um, here because obviously, if a lot if many people know the background to Burma, obviously there was um, one of the most well known kind of uh, wars going on over there um so a lot of a lot of people died and stuff it was pretty pretty horrific stuff going over there with um the burmese military etc um so she a lot of people flee burma around about that time so as a lot of her family came over and live in england which was which was nice for her and good for our heritage um to still kind of have that side here and her mum and dad were also from Burma, so um, uh, nan and granddad from Burma. But the interesting thing about Burma, though, is that um, Burma doesn't isn't really kind of a country that is very native, in the sense of the fact that Burma was built around a lot of people um, going there and a lot of mixtures of of races and stuff like that going there from thailand from india etc so when people go to burma people they all look quite a bit different so so there's kind of a, a massive kind of gene pool there of, of different of different cultures of different ethnicities etc that and that's what just makes up makes up burma really so it's, it's quite interesting so my heritage on that side kind of gets quite quite lost because of because of how burma is as a country so yeah, so quite interesting. Um, a lot of people are quite surprised when you say that. You don't meet many people uh, with Burmese heritage, but it's something that I used to be quite embarrassed of as a kid. I think growing up, I felt quite different. Hmm. I'm not sure if that's the same as you, Andre, but a lot of people growing up, a lot of children, I remember be asking me, like, what are you and stuff like that? And it was, I didn't want to be different. 
when you're a kid, you don't want to be all the kids were white and they'll be asking you, what are you? And it was never in an intriguing way. It was always kind of a, a confused way. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so, but then I've kind of grown up now and then you get into a bit more of an adulthood. People ask in a more of a uh, intriguing way, like they're interested. Like they're, really they're interested really nice in replies. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so now it's made me kind of really quite enjoy it. And it kind of, it makes me feel a bit different. And I like being a bit, I like that feeling of being a bit different in a good way. I've, I've, I've never had any negative feelings about it in, in my adulthood. So it's nice. Yeah, I, I definitely had experiences like that as a kid. Um, you know, not that like there weren't a lot of Hispanics um, where I was growing up. There definitely were, but at least within my neighborhood and the area that I, I kind of lived in, you know, and the school that I went to, uh, I, I definitely stood out and definitely remember comments and, you know, things that kids would say. And obviously, I mean, as children, you know, you, you look on it as an adult and as kid, you know, it, kids just don't, they don't really understand and they don't understand what they're, they're asking or saying or how it makes others feel necessarily. But I, no, I do remember feeling different. And sometimes like, you know, like, like the hairs on my arms, the hairs on my arms are black. And, you know, as a kid, it really stood out. And I remember kids commenting on, you know, the hairs on my arms and feeling embarrassed and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, just cause you, you do look different. And, um, and so how this, I guess, kind of relates to what I want to talk about though, Ryan, is that, you know, I do want to get into some topics that might seem, um, challenging or controversial, um, in the context of what is happening right now. Um, obviously, you know, in the last few weeks, there's been a lot of protests and rioting that's been happening in the U S, um, and obviously on a global scale too, I think I've, you know, I've seen protests happening even in the UK, you know, we saw that John Boyega, um, led protests, you know, where he was kind of giving a fairly emotional and emphatic speech. Um, but all of this, all of this over, um, I mean, it's not just George Floyd, but you know, the, the, the murder of George Floyd by, uh, that police officer, um, that, that kind of, it sparked, it ignited this just kind of built up tension that, that at least within the U S has been kind of brewing. Um, but, um, and how I want I want to relate this to Just Mercy as well is because of what Just Mercy means to me. And and again, just speaking from having read the book and just really feeling very moved and very um, kind of called to action from what I read in the book. And and the thing about the book though is that it it gets into a lot of racial topics and and issues that play and have plagued our country for decades. Um, but one of the bigger issues that I think a lot of people, I think, maybe are missing out in the current climate and conversation right now regarding racism, and that is within the United States, we have a serious, serious incarceration problem. And so I put together some notes, Ryan, and you know, just some data and statistics uh, that I wanted to kind of go through because I think, I think for me, Ryan, this is where this is what means the most to me, and I think where the uh, should at least the conversation with the United States, it should be at the forefront because the reality is, and I heard this, I think I sent you that little video, that interview of, of uh, Denzel Washington, where Denzel Washington says that you can't legislate love. You can't, a, a president of the U S cannot force people to like each other. And it's true. You can't, 
And so this idea that we're going to extinguish racism through politics or through policies, I think is a misconception and it's a misunderstanding of really the heart of the issue, right? And so, yes, we can issue reform and changes within our government, within policies, within police forcing tactics and things like that, that can help, but that doesn't get at the heart of the issue, right? And so I want to go through some of these, Ryan, and as someone that's not from the U.S., I kind of want to get your uh, your opinion on this. And I'm not sure, maybe maybe you didn't know these statistics, and they can, they can definitely seem jarring, but let me, let me just go through this real quick, okay? And so I looked up all of this on at least 90% of the information I have on here is from, anybody can go to it. It's www.statista.com. That's S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A.com, statista.com, okay? I'm just going to go through these one by one, right? So from 1980 to 2008, a span of 28 years, 80%, of white homicide victims were killed by white offenders. Okay, so the majority of white people that were victims of homicide were killed by white offenders. 93% of black victims, homicide victims, were killed by black offenders. In 2018, in the United States, there were 14,123 homicides. Of those 14,123, 10,914 were male victims, making 78% of all homicides victims were males and 22% were females. Of those male victims, 6,088 were white and 7,407 were black. Okay, so, um, and, and then this was a new statistic in 2018, the, the previous statistic from 19, 1980 to 2008, 93% of all black uh, victims were killed by black offenders. That went up in 2018. 96% of black victims were killed by black offenders. Since 1970, black males are two times more likely to die by gun-related violence than white males. So... um. There are many, 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 many reasons for this. And it's not it's not as cut and dry as I think a lot of us would like it to be. And um, what Brian Stevenson, especially in the book, what he tries to get at is that there the, the current social issues that we are dealing with now are st- are ghosts from our past that are still haunting us. Things that that. Slavery and the United States go hand in hand. The history of our country was built on the backs of slaves, and anybody that does not acknowledge that is avoiding the truth and the truth of what currently exists within our country right now. And so, and I want to know what your experience was growing up in the UK, because obviously the UK also within its colonialism days. Um, also use slaves. But the thing about the UK is I think the UK abolished slavery decades before the US ever did. Um, I think 40 years, maybe more, maybe 50 years before the US ever abolished slavery, um, the UK had already done it. And so um, what what was kind of your background in education, like growing up in the education system within the UK regarding 
you know, racism and slavery and stuff like that as it relates to the UK. Um, it's we obviously learn a lot about um like black heritage stuff and knowing that it's very prominent in in the US. Um, I can't really remember kind of massively in school how much depth we went into it, but obviously it was it was something that we massively learned about. But it it's it's far more extreme in the US. Um, so. And like you say, and I think the kind of the, the black culture is a lot more prominent in the US as well, where it is in the, in the UK. Um, so from an educational piece, I don't think it is as as prominent. Um, so so that yeah, so from that that like perspective, it's 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 different. It is it is different. So, I mean, in the U.S., uh, we are taught about slavery and the Civil War and things like that, which are very significant parts of the U.S. history. But but like like most, I think like most history, things are just sugar-coated. And the older you get and the more time that you spend in researching a lot of this stuff, um, the more it just kind of opens your eyes to the reality of, of what's going on and what has led us to the current situation that we're in right now. And that's one thing that I think our country continues to do a disservice to the new generations that are coming up is that we don't, we don't, we don't like to teach about the ugly parts of our history. Right. And, and because things are so politicized and so, uh, so divided within our country, it's, you know, uh, telling the facts for the, for the truth, for truth's sake is so, it's so muddied by agendas and political agendas that I just think, I think we, we still don't have never really confronted the real, real damage that slavery did to not just thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but even now, ever since slavery was abolished in the country and what it's led to now. And so let, let me continue to get into some of these statistics right now. Okay. So, these are incarcerate, incarceration statistics in the U.S. The United States of America is number one in the world with most incarcerated people with 2.3 million incarcerated. Even though the U.S. makes up only 5% of the world, less than 5% of the world's population, we have a quarter of the world's incarcerated people. That, that to me is an absolutely insane statistic. If each state, there are 50 states in the United States, if each state in the U.S. was its own country, 23 of the 50 states would have the highest incarceration rates in the world. One in five incarcerated persons are in prison for drug-related offenses. From 2001 to 2010, over 8 million arrests were made for marijuana related charges and 88% of those 8 million arrests were for possession only. And so one of the things right that that I think is missing from the current global conversation right now regarding Black Lives Matter and the protests and demonstrations that are that are happening is really getting at the issue of why these things happen. Are people inherently racist? I don't think that they are. I think 
I think society, culture, upbringing, experience, those things create prejudice within us, right? And a lot of prejudice, you know, like uh, like the, what's, um, uh, Martha, um, Martha Kent tells um, Superman that, uh, Clark, that, that people, people hate what they don't understand. And I think, I think for a lot of people that experience racial or, or pre- prejudice type feelings are, it, this goes from a lack of understanding of, you know, of, of others and stuff like that. But, um, but, but again, these, you know, these, these protests and demonstrations about, you know, ending police brutality, you know, uh, stop, you know, stop the killing of black people, you know, by police, but, but. I, I feel like we're missing the question on why. Why does this happen? And why does it feel like it happens to a lot of black people, right? So what, like, why, why if, if we're saying, okay, we need police reform, there's police brutality, but why, why does it seem to happen to certain people within certain regions, within certain cities, within certain populations and demographics. I just think, I just think we're missing, we're really missing key aspects of, of, of why, and we're not getting at the root of it. And I know, I know, uh, you know, I'm not coming from a place of experience because I'm not black. So I can't say what it's like to be a black man in the United States, you know, but, but, without looking at the history of slavery and what that led to in the U S and what is created, what has created it now, I think we're just missing the point. Um, so before I continue to ramble though, Ryan, I, I'm, I, I want to know if there's anything that you're thinking or, or want to share regarding this right now. Um, that's to be honest, everything that you've, the stats that you've just thrown out are, are, are mind blowing. Um, like it's interesting. Like, how do you feel? about those stats being a US citizen because for me they're just that they are numbers that are kind of just whoa that's amazing like obviously it doesn't affect me because I'm not in the states there's nothing I can do about it I can't moan I can't even moan about it because I'm not even uh, I'm not American so for me I, that's just mind-blowing and I'll carry up my day but I feel if I, that was something that's happening in England it'd be like I'd be asking like you other questions you're just asking like why is this why is this happening what like like, why do I live in a country that's that's like this? Yeah, I, I feel like it would affect me a bit more if that was the case. So, like, my, I just throw back to you, like, how do you feel about that? Because that is, being a U.S. citizen, like, that's pretty mad, right? Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to put into words what I feel about it, just especially especially after having seen the movie and, you know, read the book as well. Um, and that, that the the United States has created a, a, a cyclical um, system in which people that are marginalized, people that come from um, poverty or poor backgrounds, people that lack education, they, they end up getting in a cycle that is perpetual and that usually ends up in arrest and jail time. And once you are, once you have those on your record, the U.S. does no service to to getting you rehabilitated and back into society as a contributing citizen. And I think, you know, some research that I've done, and I haven't done enough, but that there are a lot of European countries that really do focus on the rehabilitation of their citizens that have committed crimes. And that it is, it is 
better to get people out of prison than to keep them in prison. And once they're out of prison, to keep them from returning to prison. And nothing in our system in the United States is set up to do that. And a lot of these issues, yes, a lot of these issues fall within black communities. But uh, these, these are perpetual cycles that were created, I mean, in the 1800s, you know, post-slavery. Uh, I mean, everything, everything, the, the conversation I feel like is just, we're really just missing key important parts. And so like uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, which is Brian Stevenson's organization that, you know, you will see in the movie Just Mercy, they, I think they do a really good job. If you look at their social media, right, you'll go on and you'll talk and you'll see a lot of their posts focus on, it says, understanding slavery and racism in America. If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand what's going on within the current climate now. And that police brutality, I think it's just a symptom. It's a symptom of the real issues at hand. And, um, you know, so here, let me let me read some more statistics on, on some of this stuff. So, so, oh, and this is, this is what I wanted to say. It was just kind of leading into this. If anyone thinks that, that, you know, this kind of, you're either with us or you're against us mentality, Either you need to tweet hashtag Black Lives Matter or you are for racism. This type of clear, cut and dry, black and white, you know, with us or against us mentality does no good to people that are trying to understand what's really going on. And it does no good to the cause of 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 ending racism. Okay, so if you're one of those persons that posted a black square on your Instagram, you know, and, and, you know, that was how you wanted to support Black Lives Matter. Great. But anyone that gets upset at others for not doing that, I, I think you're you're still missing the point of what's going on. Because if if any of you think that that all black people actually support the Black Lives Matter movement, you're you're very mistaken. I, I I can tell you, and I've seen many many videos of of black Americans that do not support it and that feel like it is very politically driven. And that the or, the organization misses the mark on what really needs to do to help black people. And so um, it's just, I, I think I think if we're not open to all sides of the conversation and if we're not looking at real driving factors behind racial issues within the U.S. and the world, we're missing the mark, okay? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that black people that are against Black Lives Matter are right. I'm just saying that there are a lot of voices in this, and if we're not willing to listen to all the voices, we're still missing the point, okay? So this is something that, uh, according to the Statista.com uh, stats that I listed out, these were some of the at least supposed main driving factors behind incarceration statistics. So breakdown of the family unit within American families. Kids without a dad in the home are five times more likely to be impoverished uh, or poor and to commit crimes. Five times more likely if you grew up in a household without a father. You are nine times more likely to also drop out of school. And you are 20 times more likely to end up in jail. This is crazy, okay? And this is what I want to get at. In 2018, 60.3% of all black children in America grew up in a non-traditional single-parent home 
or no parent at all, meaning foster system or something like that. More than half of every black child grew up in a single parent home. 90, over 90% of those single parent homes were fatherless. Okay. And so going back that you are five times more likely to be poor and commit a crime. You are nine times more likely to drop out of jail and you are 20 times more likely to, or, or nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. If you live in a home without a father, only 22.8% of white children that grew up in a non-traditional single parent home, um, uh, only 22.8% of all white children in America grew up in a single family home. So these, it's just, I don't know, man. And I don't really have a point other than I think the point I'm trying to make is that I think, I think we need to dig deeper into the conversations that are being had. I think it's a good thing that the conversations are being had. I just think, I think there are so many contributing factors as to what is really going on and contributing to the current situation that a lot of of families, black families, yes, but a lot of families and people find themselves in when they're struggling and they're running into the law and they're getting involved in crime. You know, why? Why are they? You know, um, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just so crazy. And so much, and I wanted to bring this up uh, mainly because, it, you know, it's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds and you, it's all over the news. It's all over social media. You know, anytime we go on Twitter, you know, people are tweeting this and that and, you know, showing support for a certain cause over another cause. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been listening to like obviously what you're saying there. And I think you're, you're doing a good job of trying to just be very diplomatic and, and kind of be that, that person in the middle. And I've always... I've always kind of um, prided myself on being someone that tries to to see both sides um, to ev- like to everything to to everything, and and I, and I don't see it sitting on the fence because I I will I will form an opinion if I feel I need to form an opinion. God knows, Andre, you and I are very opinionated people. <laughs> people know that, but that, but I like to try and have form an, an educated opinion. And you can't form an educated opinion if you take a side straight away, or if you take a side at all. Like, and I think with this very thing that's going on, I think it's it's it is really good on the whole because I think that um, a bigger voice makes people think about things. I thought about racism a lot more than maybe I have done in the past and and should have, and so it, it this stuff brings a, a lot of positivity, and I. Um, think it's very good for a lot of people stuff like John Vega's doing his he's been very passionate and you need that passion as well and there's been so much there's been so much good from it but I I do have to say that I do feel that there's there's been times where I've 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 actually gone through social media and, and I've never really been too affected by stuff on social media but I've actually gone through points where I'm like I feel like I might actually come off it because I've been I've been made to feel quite bad like I'm a bad like I'm a bad person because I'm not doing stuff that people that the majority are doing, and because well maybe not even the majority, but the the loudest voices at the moment are doing. Um, it's been unfair for me to say majority. I don't know if it's majority, but certainly the loudest voices out there are saying that you should be doing X, and if you're not doing X, then you are Y, and Y doesn't isn't very nice, and I think it's very unfair. It's very yeah. sweeping. Yeah. Um, 
like just like you brought up with the putting up the um, the black square on the blackout. I, I don't I don't I don't post on Instagram. I can't remember the last time I posted on Instagram. It's it's probably over a year ago, and then before that, maybe even year two. Yeah, I I don't do it. And the reason why I then I didn't do this this blackout is one I don't ever post on Instagram. So my activity was blacked out every day, not just on a Tuesday, but also me going on and, and doing that for me felt inauthentic it didn't feel authentic it didn't feel like i'm doing something that feels authentic to me to help like what's going on going on to using a platform i never use i never integrate with just to put something up to more than feel more like it's just proving a point to be up than actually something that i feel authentic about doing and then I'm I'm made to feel like I'm a bad person because I'm not doing that where I actually feel like a bad person for doing it because it's not authentic and I think help should be authentic you should be wanting to help because you you want to help not help because you're being told to help and and that's why I think a lot of people are I don't want to say going wrong I don't believe any listeners saying I don't think anyone's going wrong I just think that it's just you should always just try and feel authentic with everything that you're doing and help because you want to help, not help because you've been told to help. No, no. If you ever think if you're moving house and someone gets told to help you to move house, do you want that person to help you? Not really. It doesn't make you feel good. You, <laughs> you want that person to want to help yeah. you. Yeah. And that's why I just feel with this, that's how I live my thing, my life. And when it comes to this, like I want to do things in a way that feels authentic. And at this moment, I'm, I haven't found that way yet because it's, it isn't racism is different in the UK. It's, it's definitely massively prominent. I'm not saying it's not, but it's very different to the, to the States and it's very state driven. So at the moment I'm still trying to find the best way of doing it. And I hope that everyone else feels like that and takes a bit more comfort that if you aren't doing something because someone's telling you to do it and you feel bad for it, like, like don't, do some do stuff that you feel authentic about doing and that you feel good about doing it and like and if you do that you'll you'll probably create you'll do more help doing it that way than just doing it because you've been told to do it oh, i appreciate you bringing up the the authenticity part of all of this because i think that's where for me personally that's where i i feel very it it, it really it really bugs me it really bugs me because i think social media in, in many ways is used as this form to create a false identity for people who want to come off as if they care, who want to come off as, you know, that they're doing good when in fact it's just an image, you know, like public mm-hmm. relations for politicians. And, you know, and I'm going to be critical of both sides right now. You know, the whole the picture of Trump, you know, holding up a Bible in front of a church, you know, you know, that, that they, you know, were pushing protesters out of the way so they could take this picture. It That's disingenuous. It's inauthentic. It's fake. I, I, I don't like that. I don't. And it, and it does not shine well on someone who is trying to create an image that is false. It's a false image. And I also, I, I can't stand, I can't stand the politicians that, you know, that they, <laughs> this might get me in some hot water, man, but you know, like the politicians here that were really, really, really enforcing and driving the the quarantine and social distancing for for coronavirus, and and throwing people in jail for wanting to open their business because they were not abiding by social distancing or quarantine, and, and yet they're out in the streets now with thousands of people protesting 
as if, <laughs> I mean, a week ago that they were screaming, you co- going out and opening your business is going to potentially kill other people. How dare you? And yet, and yet they're right there in the middle of the street protesting, you know, uh, in support of Black Lives Matter. And, and that, that, see that type of behavior, man, it, it is, it's so, it, all it does is reveal the hypocrisy within politicians and people of prominence within society that have a platform and that they use this platform by means of, of only trying to show their image in a good light. And when you see through it, you see through it and it's nothing but hypocrites and it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. I can't stand it. And so if you are a person that really is trying to make changes in the world and I, I, I support you and I support, you know, I support essentially what the Black Lives Matter movement is and that is bringing awareness to racial issues within the United States because we need attention on that stuff. But but don't shame anyone who doesn't support it and don't shame anyone who maybe is trying to learn what it's all about and hasn't voiced anything yet. I mean, like I said, I mean, there are plenty of black people that don't support Black Lives Matters. And so what does it mean to them to be a black American, you know, that doesn't support it? But but Ryan, we, we are kind of getting long and I, I we can wrap things up. Um, you know, so I, I want to read a couple quotes before um, before we end. But do you have any other any other parting words or anything that you want to express maybe regarding the movie uh, or anything like that? No, just um, obviously I've had my kind of two piece in the end. I hope that whatever I've said doesn't offend anyone, doesn't mean to offend anyone. And I just want everyone to, to do things in the way that they feel happy doing and um, and in a way that's, that's helping other people. So just on that front, yeah, like I think... Um, Andre you sent some really good videos to me earlier like the Martin Luther King one I'm not sure if that's what you're going to bring up but I think that's a video that a lot of people should watch it's quite touching to me about how he talked the speech how he talks about not condoning the violent behaviour within protesting and writing and stuff and I think um, everyone who listens to this should, should should listen to that and it gives you a good understanding on on how to actually really really make change if that's what you're really wanting to do if you're really wanting to make change then I I suggest Andre maybe put the post out, link that video because it was it was very touching for me and it just made sense. He the man was an absolute genius that you you can't create change through violence or or two wrongs making a right. It's a it's a long process and and you've you've got to do it through love and help and kindness and and being authentic in what you're doing and that will create change, not forcing people to change. You can't condone that. Well, that's great, man. That really is great. And, and, uh, before, before I read these quotes, cause I this will kind of be the last thing, but for me, uh, learning more about Brian Stevenson and about his organization, I, I have become, um, I don't know. It, it, it sparked something inside me that I have, I've been aware of our prison issues in the U S and our mass incarceration issues and, and they are deep and they're, they're rooted in, just bad politics on both sides. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if, if, you know, a lot of people know that, um, the, the skyrocket of incarceration happened in the early nineties when Bill Clinton and his administration signed into law, all of these, these, uh, reforms for our criminal justice system. And to the extent that we would subsidize, taxes to states 
essentially give states money for building more prisons and incarcerating more people. I mean, we were incentivizing states to put more people away. And we started incarcerating people on these lousy drug offenses. And then the three strikes rule was implemented throughout almost every state in our country, meaning that it doesn't matter what the offense is. If you're arrested three times and charged with three different crimes, even if they're nonviolent, they could be drug crimes or you missed your parole or something you get, you know, your your brake light is out on your car and you're pulled over and given a ticket. If you get three strikes, you're going to prison for like 30 years. You know, and I mean, we, it's just, there's so many issues with our current justice system right now. And I, I am so, so, um, humbled by what Brian Steven has been doing for 30 years. I mean, he has dedicated his life to making change, true change, real change. I mean, he has given his life to this, to this cause, to his organization, to helping people that otherwise we would overlook. Why? Because they're poor because they don't come from a background that we're from, you know, they're marginalized, they're criminals, we look at them differently. But I just, anyone that is interested in really supporting, I think, an, a, a worthy cause, go to Equal Justice Initiative. It's eji.org. Go look at their social media, read what they're doing. I, I really think it is incredible stuff. So I'm going to read two things. This one's, um, it's just... Uh, Toward, it's the very end of the book. So again, for people who are <laughs> wanting to avoid spoilers, maybe uh, maybe just push pause and go read the book. But this is uh, in the epilogue, and it's the last two paragraphs. So Walter McMillan, he eventually died, I think, in 2013. And um, um, uh, Brian Stevenson was asked to speak at his funeral. And this is what he, he was talking about at the funeral he said i felt i felt the need to explain to people what walter had taught me walter made me understand why we have to reform a system of criminal justice that continues to treat people better if they are rich and guilty than if they are poor and innocent a system that denies uh, a system that denies the poor the legal help they need that makes wealth and status more important than culpability must be changed. Walter's case taught me that that fear and anger are a threat to justice. They can infect a community, a state, or a nation and make us blind, irrational, and dangerous. I reflected on how mass imprisonment has littered the nation national landscape with uh, carceral monuments of reckless and excessive punishment and ravaged communities with our hopeless willingness to condemn and discard the most vulnerable among us. I told the congregation that Walter's case had taught me that the death penalty is not about whether people deserve to die for their crimes they commit. The real question of capital punishment in this country is, do we deserve to kill? Finally, and most important, I told those gathered in the church that Walter had taught me that mercy is is just when it is rooted in hopefulness and freely given. Mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it is directed at the undeserving. The people who haven't earned it, who haven't er even sought it, are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. Walter genuinely forgave the people who unfairly accused him, the people who convicted him, and the people who had judged him unworthy of mercy. And in the end, it was just mercy toward others 
that allowed him to recover a life worth celebrating. So that is a, a quote from the book. Uh, that is uh, the final page of the epilogue. And then I wanted to read this quote from the movie. And this was said in the final scene of the movie. Um, this is Brian Stevenson appearing in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Throughout this work, I've learned that each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. That the opposite of poverty isn't wealth. Uh, isn't wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. That the character of our nation isn't reflected on how we treat the rich and the privileged, but how we treat the poor, the disfavored, and the condemned. So, listeners, I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Know that Ryan and I, we have, we our, our intentions are only to, to maybe help open your minds to to a bigger picture of the conversation that's being had, and that that wherever you find yourself that I guess our encouragement is to just educate yourself more on what's going on and, and where the, the root causes of these issues are. And so, um, I think Ryan, I can say safely that you and I both recommend just mercy if our viewers yep. haven't seen it. Yep. <laughs> so, um, listeners, thank you. Really hope you, you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Um, and yeah, look, look for our next podcast coming out soon. But uh, Ryan, why don't you let the listeners know how they can reach out to you or follow you online? As always, guys, um, Ryan from lifeoffilms.com. If you want to uh, catch up or read any of my, my reviews, then just pop on over there and yeah, get in touch. All right, uh, listeners, uh, on behalf of Ryan, this is Andre, and we'll see you guys next time. The Backseat Director's theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Director's podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The perfect day for movie time. So let's catch a flick, go see a show. Jump on my bicycle with six of my friends. Arrive on time, pick up our tickets, get in line. Next stop, concession stand. Google's popcorn, part of the plan. Soda pop, and now we go to door number one to catch the show. We find our seats. The perfect road. Why? It's the perfect day for a movie. Let's go see a show. Let's go to the movies and see a show. Documentaries, uh, so many options, so much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. Uh, so find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone. 